You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. Soon. My goodness. The whole world's going to hear me. I'm going to make them hear me. Let Is your voice be heard, Tom. <laughs> we have come today to discuss a topic of which we need to begin demonstrating immediately, and that is the topic of discipline. <laughs> Our conversation has not started out as, as such. You know, I didn't really put two and two together when I did this, but we had a pastor's fellowship here this morning, and I bought a dozen donuts and there were only two of us here, just a number of the guys who normally come couldn't make it. <laughs> and I was looking at the packet and I thought, man, if I take this packet home and my wife says, so how many pastors were there? And I tell her me and one other. And then she looks at how many donuts are gone. There yeah. are going to be questions. She's, she's going to recognize a lack of discipline. Absolutely. So this, yes. the, the solution to that, the solution to that, Martin, is to eat the rest of them. Then you don't have to take it home. <laughs> well, I my solution was to take them out of the box and just take them home in like a Ziploc bag, so there's not like a total. Oh, yeah. But I guess um, I guess eating them all would be another solution. I mean, you could take a, like half of them home today, half tomorrow. Be totally deceptive. <laughs> By the time she hears this podcast, she'll have figured it out, out anyway. Yeah, she will. There'll yeah. be signs. Yeah, so. yeah. We're not we're not that sneaky. Before we get into the topic of the day, which is the subject of discipline, again. Something we're not demonstrating very well already. Um, we would like to do maybe some book review. Last week we talked about some different books we were reading or would recommend, and I mentioned a book. It's called "Before You Say I Do," and it's written by someone by the name of Norman Wright. Um, prior to um, seeing this promoted somewhere on Facebook, actually, it was someone that was doing premarriage counseling. I saw them with the picture of that book. And I thought, well, I'm going to check that out. And in the course of what we do as pastors, we often will do that kind of counseling. And so I had the need to do that. And I checked it out, mentioned it last week, thought I would just update everybody on that. It's a decent book. Uh, There are some very solid principles that are there. It's a workbook. There's a devotional that comes with it, but I didn't order the devotional because I don't think it actually syncs with the workbook. Um, It's actually more of a teach the principle and then ask questions unrelated so I really liked how it was laid laid out. It's very thought provoking as far as the workbook side. As far as the principles and things that are introduced, it introduces a myriad of different principles on marriage to prepare for. You have to dig through it, circle and underline what you want to communicate, and then probably use this for more mature believers. So that's just kind of what I took away from it. I would I would use it. I am using it. Um, I would use it again in the right circumstance, but maybe not in every situation. So that's Before You Say I Do with Norman Wright. There's my book review. I guess I'll go next. Um, I was thinking about a book I read, and it's it's not really a commentary or religious book per se, but uh, as a a biography about Sergeant York and just telling the story. Uh, It was written by uh, John Perry. And there are definitely some spiritual lessons you can take from it, um, but it's, it's just a good story. And one reason I did mention it is because there are some very challenging truths that you can draw from it. It's a heroic story. I mean, there's an incredible man. 
but also because quite often I, I see young preachers and sometimes older preachers looking to uh, kind of hone their preaching skill. And mm-hmm. they say, where do you get sermon illustrations from? And uh, I think biographies, history, true stories are some of the best resources that you can go mm-hmm. to. So, um, yeah, good, good book, good story, sad and tragic in many ways towards the end. But, uh, yeah, it's one I would recommend. I loved the movie. Did you guys ever watch well, that's Sergeant what I York saw first. Gary Cooper? Yeah, Can man. We, we didn't watch movies when I was coming up. Oh, okay. We only watched films. They didn't have movies see. when he was growing up. Well, this oh. was a VHS. This was a VHS. So we, uh, I am dated at least somewhat. But yeah, yeah. Gary Cooper, was a, he was the man. Was that movie? Actually, when the, I was traveling once. Go ahead. No, sorry. I thought when I was traveling once, I did drive through the area he was from and saw some of the places named after him. Yeah. And I would have loved to have stopped, but I was on my way to a meeting and I just couldn't. But um, yeah. And Gary Cooper, I mean, that's good. Good actor that's good. there. That's good cinematography right there. Absolutely. Classic. Mm-hmm. All right, to your Tom. Point about, to your point about, Martin, about um, sermon illustrations, it's amazing how often whatever book I'm reading works its way into whatever sermon I'm preparing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it is a valid reason to constantly be keeping information flowing across your your mind, uh, because I read a lot of history and biography, and and I find it very helpful in that respect. Uh, cool. The book I have to recommend today um, is for one specific purpose, which is to prove that I do read people that are alive. And this <laughs> is Al Mohler's book, The Conviction to Lead. Al Mohler is a big Southern Baptist uh, figure was influential in the Southern Baptist Convention's turn in the 80s back in a conservative direction and has been a president of one of their seminaries for about 30 years, I think. Uh, I've read pieces that he's written here and there. This is the first one of his books that I've ever read. Uh, he It's a book on leadership, The Conviction to Lead. He could have taken and just assembled various you know pieces he'd written or newspaper articles and to compile them in a book on leadership, and it would have been decent, but this isn't that. He wrote – he took a thought – and developed it over the course of a whole book. It's got 25 chapters. His basic thought is that leadership is based upon conviction. If you don't have conviction, you can't lead. You have to be going somewhere by conviction, taking the organization Mm. you're leading by conviction somewhere, and then how that works its way out in your schedule, in your delegating, in your your writing, in your media use, in your communication, in your management, in your finances, et cetera. He he gives it a lot of uh, practical outworking. But it's a very thought-provoking book, and it's one of those rare books that is worth reading again um, from my perspective. And so I would mm. recommend it um, not just for pastors, but for anyone in any leadership capacity. It will cause you to develop, I think, by examining yourself as a leader. Al Mohler's The Conviction to Lead. Can I ask you guys how many uh, – I know we would say we read books, but do you guys listen to a lot of audiobooks as well? I do. I you know. Uh, I used Audible. I use it a lot. I mm-hmm. probably spend, I could look at the app because it tracks the hours. I probably spend 40 hours a month on Audible. Hmm. All right. So Just curious. hiking, driving, getting ready in the morning, you know, I'll, I'll be listening to a book Musing. if I need a meal by myself. Musing yes. by, the, by the Mississippi by River. The Mississippi. Yes. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you <laughs> noticing welcome. that. Oh, yeah, I do. I mean. Do you, Reverend Wiggins? I do a little bit. Um, not so much now, uh, in previous years, I have done a lot more when I was running more, but that's something I'm getting back into having recovered from various ailments. Uh, so when I run, what's that? Old age. Anyway, uh, yes. Um, 
So yeah, when I run, I listen to a lot of books and I run long distances. I I probably run more in one session than um, Stephen has done uh, months at a time. <laughs> Good one. You got me so, back. <laughs> now, Brother Russ, if you would just listen to books while you're hunting, you'd probably listen to like 75 a year probably, wouldn't you? Yeah, but then I wouldn't hear the squirrels sounding like deer. How would how would that work for me? Well, you don't shoot anything anyway. Yeah, I know. Hey, easy. Easy. No, that's not true. <laughs> Come on. No, I, I I asked that because, you know, some people, they, they may have a busy schedule, but they may have drive time. They may have time at the gym. They may have, you know, a, an opportunity to listen when they're not uh, sitting still reading a book. And so, just you know, we're talking about discipline today. I mean, when, when, you, when you set your mind to something, you, there are sometimes more than one ways to skin a cat. Sorry for that reference, but um, maybe something that some of our listeners could try is some audiobooks after, of course, you've listened to the Issues podcast. Oh, point. Yes, absolutely. Good plug. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I That kind of came up this past Sunday. I'm not quite sure why. I know it was relevant in the sermon. Um, <laughs> I can't remember why, but I know it was. Oh, but, well, you're giving me all kinds of material. I'm passing it by, though. Go ahead. I asked him. I was like, you know, where do you think that saying came from? There's more than one way to skin a cat. At what point did you need more than one way? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I need That's to true. investigate I, that. I saw a comedian do a sketch on that. He said, have you ever thought about the nursery rhymes? You know, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. You know, people burning. Oh, more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. I know that one. The ashes, <laughs> ashes, all fall down. That's yeah, the plague, plague or something like that. Oh, the, pl- yeah. the plague. Yeah, that's that's a London thing, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ring Around the Rosies, that was the rash. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, oh, it's, it, it's pretty dark. We all fall down. That's everyone dead. Yeah. Oh, that's that's crazy. So skinning cats, all that kind of stuff. Good question. So let's bring this conversation to a more disciplined place and discuss the topic of <laughs> discipline. And I think it I think it tracks pretty well. <laughs> we're we're showing you how to not be disciplined. We're also talking about disciplines of reading and things of that nature. The 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 heart of the issue we want to come to today is that there is actually a resurgence in the secular world of discipline. If you listen to podcasts or philosophers that are, I mean, people who are alive now, and now that we know Tom does that, he can actually speak to this as well, but uh, people who are speaking to the topic of discipline. And and I, I think of some of my favorite secular authors actually hammer this idea of being disciplined and, and, you know, get up and get going and physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, you don't just have to let life come to you. Uh, you know, you can go to that. What I think that we really, what we owe to um, ourselves, and I should probably say we owe it it to the Lord, is to investigate the world's discipline in lieu or in light of the discipline that is spoken of in the Bible. So a verse that comes to my mind when we're talking about this is James 3.17, wisdom that is from above is first pure. So Christians can be viewed as narrow-minded. We can be viewed as a little bit on the um, on the narrow side of a lot of issues, right? And I think that we come by that honestly because we know that it is our responsibility to filter everything through the worldview of Scripture. Now, you've heard the topic before or the term before, a biblical worldview. And so we want to talk about discipline or self-discipline through a biblical worldview. And to start that, I just pose this question to you guys. I think the answer is simple, but but it, it deserves a little bit of, a, of an extended conversation, right? Is discipline important as believers? 
Yes. How could you answer that with a no? Exactly. Well, but there maybe will be some who lean towards antinomianism, even if they don't do that in so many words, but they would equate self-discipline with legalism and Mm -hmm. kind of veer towards license rather than genuine biblical liberty. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, That's where my mind was at. I appreciate that answer, Martin. Here's some well, I can tell we got all kinds of yeah, we got some- <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I got plenty of dead time for my room noise sample. You guys know what that is. I think you need to go <laughs> yes, back. I, to, I think we need to go back to that whole idea of you need to revisit and spend a little more time on this whole secular philosophers, and I mean, I think that's worth worth pursuing. So, can we circle back to that? Because I want you guys, yes. to, I want you guys to hit that a little bit. I can't. I don't right. listen to them. But I, I want you guys to. So the question I would pose to you guys is, what is the difference between the discipline that is being taught by some of the more modern voices that are very, very prominent right now uh, versus the discipline that we are required to have as believers? And, you know, Martin, there's a lot of a lot of things that you've even spoken to, like you mentioned in, in conversation about the the idea of antinomianism and how that it would be easy to say that because we don't believe that our faith is by works, then there would be, you know, this idea that we, we don't need any works. We don't need any discipline. Everything's good. It's all under grace. At the same time, I think that the believer has to be a disciplined person. There's a responsibility on that part. So what's the difference mm-hmm. between the two types of discipline? So as far as the, the, you know, in the secular sense of discipline, self-discipline, you know, we were thinking about a lot of the podcast personalities you right. know, like Jordan Peterson, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, and even Ben Shapiro. I know he's more of like a political commentator, but he yeah. definitely comes from a a religious philosophical position. And if we yeah. think of philosophy just as the, you know, an explanation of life, uh, you know, this kind of wisdom in the world. Right. And Tom could probably give a more definitive definition of it. But, um, you know, they are very prevalent. And, and I think we need to see the good that they're doing as well as the bad. Sure. You know, one of one of my favorite secular authors, I've read two of his books, um, is Jocko Willink, the former Navy SEAL. And he's a big yes. leadership speaker now and all that. And he he says all the time, discipline equals freedom and and you've got to take complete ownership. And and that's the title of his book, right? Is is that ownership mentality of a leader. Um, you know, and and I mean it's a challenging book. It is it is a very challenging thought that as a leader, you have to take ownership of everything that's going on, whether it's good or bad, and you have to own that and take responsibility for what's taking place in your unit. He would use that in a military sense. Mm-hmm. I think there's uh, it, it's encouraging you know, when you come across the secular world saying things that are biblical truths uh, that you think are being neglected in our society or our generation, the danger right. comes when you begin to overemphasize them or allow them to speak into your life too much. Because even, okay, the, the, the devils can cite scripture for their purpose. Maybe that's not a good citation here, but they you can have bad people say good things and then begin mm-hmm. to latch on to more and more of what they're saying. Right. I'm, I'm classifying, I'm speaking broadly here, and I don't listen to podcasts or you know th- these modern guys that you've mentioned. I know who they are. I don't listen to them. But that sense of, I know many of my friends do, and I know many of 
of good men in our generation do. They allow those types of men, because their voices say something that we think needs said in our day, we allow them too much room, I think, in our minds uh, to to influence us and speak speak into us. Yeah. And so, Tom, I would say that you're not you're not saying that these are bad men, but at best they're secular in their influence. Right. So your point going back to the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Mm-hmm. There, There is a world, that passage in the book of James is contrasting the world's wisdom with God's wisdom. And the world's wisdom can oftentimes be correct about some aspects of how to get oh, yeah. things done. Self-discipline is essential mm-hmm. to getting things done, but it's still the world's wisdom. And I think when, when you begin to drink at that fountain, it's, it's sooner or later and probably sooner going to get pretty muddy. Right. Martin, right. have you listened or read, read after any of the guys that we mentioned? A little bit, yeah. Um, and it's, de- it's definitely an issue where they are going to be limited in how applicable they are because their wisdom is of the earth. It's self-guided and it does have some merit, but it's, it's ultimately not biblical wisdom. Um, the well, I, I think I, I think your point that you you put in your notes here is good that it's sacrificial but pragmatic no no ultimate authority suspicion of all authority mm-hmm. leaves them their hairs open to air. okay so right. here's an interesting thought along the lines of what what you were leading into Martin so I've I've listened to a fair amount of like Jordan Peterson um, I've read two of Jocko Willing's books I've listened to his podcast um, Rogan's a little bit more difficult for me because there's just so much profanity in in his mm-hmm. podcast and whatnot. The one thing that they all have in common, and, and we see the, those three guys have actually kind of linked up quite a bit as well. The one thing they have in common is that they're rejecting some of the political correctness of the day. They're rejecting the laziness that has defined men in the modern day. They're rejecting the whole idea of you only live once, just go out there and do your thing and enjoy life. You know, Structure doesn't matter. Discipline doesn't matter. And you got a Navy SEAL over here saying, oh, no, if we go to war, it's going to matter. You know, It's going to matter. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson intrigues me. Because there's a philosopher who has studied the Bible extensively. He does lectures on these things, and he views the Bible eh, more or less as allegorical. So obviously, right. I don't, I don't, I haven't listened to any, any of his biblical lectures. But you should, you should hear how close he gets. And when he gets that close, he gets so emotional. I mean, he's already an emotional man, mm-hmm. um, but he will weep at the concept of Christ on the cross, even though he's he hasn't professed Christ and. I recall listening to one of his podcasts or interviews where, you know, he said, oh man, the Christians, they're the, they're the worst, you know, and they're always trying to get me to join their club, you know, and that kind of thing. And I thought, oh man, Jordan, you're so almost thou has persuaded me is how I, how I feel like he's communicating. <laughs> and yet he's just this close. And, and I don't know his heart. I'm not saying that, but the point of the world's discipline versus the, the scriptural model of discipline of which we're going to discuss is that we have got to be, we've got to be careful. We've got to be watchful. The Bible says to be watchful. And we've got to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. I mean, that that's probably a great application from Scripture for this. And I, th- I think that's the ultimate weakness that you see with these guys, is that they don't recognize an authority outside of themselves. Oh, yeah. And so they, they theorize a lot. They, you know, talk a lot. But ultimately, there's nothing objective to be an authority if they ultimately reject God. And they'll treat mm-hmm. the Bible like they do treat, you know, theories about where the yeah. pyramids came from. And so to them, their God is reason and logic. And that's yeah. why ultimately it's going to fail. And I think that's why it's probably a danger 
to people. And I'm not saying don't listen to them because there's a lot of stuff they're saying which is good. Right. But outside of subjecting everything to the authority of God's word, you know, it's going to be a problem. And there have been philosophers before who have reasoned their way back to the truth, like C.S. Lewis. I mean, yeah, he began a from example. a philosophical viewpoint, but he ultimately brought him, you know, he brought him closer to God's word. And, mm-hmm. you know, Plato, uh, I think he, he wrote on what the ideal man or the perfect man would be. And if you read that, it's almost like he's describing Jesus like hundreds of years before Jesus came, but he kind of reasoned what the perfect man would be. Um, and I think he even said, and we'll kill him because the world can't tolerate the perfect man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty fascinating. But yeah, all Have of you these read guys a lot of Lewis? Yes. I, I figured that would be the case. I have to admit, I've not read as much of C.S. Lewis as I, as I probably should at this point. Um, but his story is something that I've studied somewhat. It's very intriguing. Because mm-hmm. didn't he yeah. go from being a, like an agnostic to being someone who admitted that, okay, yeah, I, I recognize that there probably is a God or there there definitely is a God. And he went from that atheistic view to that partial belief view to finally a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he distinguishes as such, correct? I would say his testimony isn't clear you know but i do believe that he he had faith um but again i know there's a lot of discussion around that and i don't want to chase that one down too much but he he would have at least in 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 words he he would recognize there is a god and that we're in subject to him you know his books on mere christianity uh you know there's so much truth that's there that I, i do personally believe that he was a believer but um who was yeah. the other author that befriended him and brought him closer to belief in Christ? Do you remember? Was it Tolkien? Yeah, he, he formed a group. Wasn't it the Inklings, Martin? Wasn't that what that was called? Mm-hmm. Yes. I. <laughs> uh, sorry. I was going to say I've been to the pub where they used to meet and I've had a meal, but I don't want to contradict <laughs> a previous podcast that we've done. Oh, you, know, I, you went to the pub, did you? Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, but in the British culture, that's a different thing. But um, yeah, sure. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I grew up near Oxford. And so that was somewhere that was easy to go to. And I would take all kinds of groups up there to do tours. And, but yeah, they, they use reason and logic and philosophy to hit on certain points. But, you know, if we go back to the likes of Joe Rogan and Peterson, they're doing it simply from an, an observational mm-hmm perspective and and not in subjection to the Bible. And that's where their earthly wisdom is sometimes helpful, but ultimately, you know, we've got to be careful. I I did an informal uh, poll on Twitter and I asked, you know, who do you believe on average has greater influence on men today? 48% of the responders said Peterson, Rogan, Shapiro, et cetera. 23% said a sports personality or a coach. 9% said a dead theologian or a pastor, and only 19% said their local pastor. So a Mm. lot of people, at least who responded to that, believe that pastors have among the least amount of influence on men, even who go to their churches. That was a very fascinating poll, actually. I I shared it because I was like, wow, that's that's thought-provoking because if you take the names that we mentioned, and again, this is, I'm not criticizing these men, but Rogan, Peterson, Shapiro, Jocko, 
they they range in their view of God from complete outright disrespect and disbelief to being vague at best. I mean, I've heard Ben Shapiro talk about, you know, he doesn't believe in Jesus and that kind of thing. And and these are the leading voices of the right. These are the leading voices right. of conservatism and all of that stuff. And so they're pushing this idea of self-discipline. I say good. Actually, Jocko says that good. You know, that's that's the good thing. That's that's the positive aspect of it. What I think Christians could do with that is, as you put it, Tom, balance the the input that those men have in our lives and make sure that it doesn't outweigh the other important influences, such as what Martin showed, only 19 or 20 percent of people say their local pastor has the has one of the greatest influences of their life, at least out of those who are listed. So it it tracks naturally that we should go from discussing what it isn't because there are some things that that um, these men or or the such would um, would promote that is just not biblical discipline but specifically what is biblical discipline what do we see in the Bible that tells us we need to be disciplined especially in a faith that is so much based on faith and not works a belief system that's that way so how do we answer that how do we point people to the scripture on self-discipline? When I think of passages that talk about what I think of as self-discipline, well, mm-hmm. a dictionary definition of of discipline of, of self-discipline is discipline and training of oneself usually for improvement. I like a similar phrase, which is self-control, the idea of, mm-hmm. of restraining yourself, of controlling yourself. You have some greater purpose in mind you want to accomplish. So because you have this greater purpose in mind, you tell yourself no about something now so that you can achieve something more later. And I think that comes out in a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul gives us that wonderful um, athletic illustration. Uh, I've got it written here. Uh, know, ye that, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Or run like that, using that as a picture in your mind of, of what to strive for. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. That's a, a word that is very similar to disciplined is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible, I therefore so run. In other words, like they do, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That phrase, keep under, has the idea behind it of wearing something down, of of being after something to the point where you have beaten it black and blue. Uh, it's, mm. it's a very it's a very forceful phrase because yeah. my body is just constantly wanting to go its own direction and I can't let it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really love that passage of scripture for another part of it that you read. It says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So here's the, this is now, it gets clearer, right? As you read this. And I like the fact that it's the same concept that the world uses, that a soldier would use to win a war, that an athlete would use to win a race, and that a Christian would use to, uh, you know, as Paul would put it, win Christ and stand before the Lord and reap rewards. Um, I think that that shows that yes, the world has temperance, they have mastery, they have um, focus. Those are all words that came to my mind as we're reading this passage of Scripture. Ours is not any different, except for the why the why of what we're doing. Yeah, and I think I'm not the, sure I agree. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I think it's not just the why, but it's also the outcome. 
Um, yeah. You know, the, the, that great difference between an eternal reward and something that's honoring to God rather than something which is of a, at worst, selfish outcome. Right. I was thinking you were, you were yeah, to, to go to Martin's point here, I was thinking earlier in the conversation of that, of that statement, the worst thing is to succeed at things that don't really matter. Mm-hmm. Right, you've disciplined yourself to accomplish things, but what you're accomplishing doesn't really matter. But to go back to what I was going to say, you said uh, the difference is—I've forgotten how you phrased the it, why. Russ. Right, but I also think the difference is in the how. Okay, because yeah, unless fair. you, unless, unless you work through these things, unless it's the unless it's the Holy Spirit bringing Christ to life in your life in in your in your life. Yes. Unless you're following that biblical process of sanctification and using the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to accomplish those things, you can accomplish some things by the power of your will, some tremendous things. And even though okay. that is praiseworthy, how a Christian should approach that is almost as different as why a Christian should approach that. And I found this verse that I recently preached when Paul was in in Colossians saying, we preach Christ and and beautiful passage of scripture really enjoyed going through this Christ in you, the hope of glory. The last verse of chapter one says, whereunto I also labor. Well, there's effort, there's discipline in, in labor. He says, striving according to his working, mm. which worketh in me mightily. And so that I think speaks to what you were saying. Is that, is that correct, Tom? Absolutely. Yeah. Th- th- there's a supernatural effect that laboring in the Holy in the Holy Ghost or laboring, yes. I mean, Paul said we labored night and day. We we were gentle. We were careful. We were considerate. We we had all these different things that we focused on. But in that passage of scripture, I love that he said it works in me mightily. It's not it's not Paul. So for the Christian, it's not you. To the athlete, it's them. Okay, and I'm not bashing your favorite athlete today, but let's just be honest. There's a lot of arrogance that goes on in professional sports. Absolutely. They, they may be the best in the world. I mean, they, they are, <laughs> you know, it's like people who make fun of the, the guy in the NBA who never get, actually gets on the floor. And yet he's still like a thousand times better than the average college player. I mean, these are elite. They've worked really hard, but the difference for the believer is that, it, it, you know, they're, they're doing it for themselves and we're striving for an incorruptible crown. And so it's the why it's the how it's the what, I mean, it, all of those factors uh, come into play. I think one of the weaknesses we talk sometimes about the ditches on either side of the road, and on to me in this in this matter of discipline, the ditch on one side of the road is the world's view of it's my will. You know, this goes. I think of Hitler, the triumph of the will. You know, Lenny Rothenstahl's famous documentary about him. You know, he had an iron, unshakable will, and he's going to accomplish things. And that brings to my Nebuchadnezzar looking over this great city I have built, and he didn't do that without being disciplined and without telling himself no about things and and getting things done. And that does produce pride, as you as you rightly pointed out. The ditch on the other side of the road for the Christian is the Christian who embraces the concept of, I don't have to work at something. It's just God is going to do it in me. I believe right. God does it through me, right. but God doesn't necessarily just zap me with it. I've, right. I've done a lot of reading about different aspects or processes of sanctification, and Keswick is a is an influential part of the history of, of the holiness movement. And Keswick, one of, its, one of its great mistakes is it posited a position that can loosely be described as passivity. Of I'm going to sit mm. here and I'm going to wait for God to make me holy. It's that whole, if I could summarize it in our language, it's let go and let God. 
Right. And I think that is entirely too unbalanced. There, There is uh-huh. clearly striving in the Christian life. There's fighting in the Christian life. There's buffeting my body in the Christian life. All of those are biblical. I like I like the the road you're on, the path you're on with that, because I think that could apply especially to, let's say, putting on the whole armor of God. All right. There's sure. obviously there's obviously a responsibility on the part of the individual to do something. And, you know, the, the battle is in that same passage. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And and I would even I would even say that, you know, it's not in that text. I'll be clear that I'm not adding it to that text, but the battle is is in here with me and putting on that armor is a responsibility that every believer has. It requires discipline. And I, I, I think that a lot of Christians struggle with that. I think that a lot of Christians who were born into Christian homes and are maybe second or third generation struggle with that. They may have at some point seen the overemphasis of a list of rules um, to the point where, maybe, and, and I'll be honest, it may not have been taught as such, but the message received was, if I do this, this, and this, then I'm a good person. If I do this and this and this, I'm useless, I'm worthless, and I have no value. And neither of those is entirely true as they stand alone. But when it, when you, when it comes to warring a good warfare, there's nothing that I can do here. It's always in here and putting on those different things. I mean, none of, none of the armor of God in Ephesians, um, are outward weapons. They're not literal on the outside. They're all things that happen in the inner man. So there has to be a discipline in that. That's where the battle is. That's where the struggle is. And I, and I right. can't just sit there and be passive and wait for God to fix it all. I've got mm-hmm. to go to work on those things. I've got to exercise myself in the godliest, use Paul's phrase. I have to That's right. so, so fight that you may obtain. I've got to, you know, all these work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. These, these concepts mm-hmm. come out again and again in the New Testament. Doesn't mean we're not relying upon God. That would be the ditch on the secular side where it's just my own will. It is we're doing that, relying upon the Holy Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit. And so as we walk with the Spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's Romans 8.13, right? Romans 8.13, uh, through the Spirit. Nope, that's mortification. I gave the wrong reference. Uh, Galatians 5.16, I should have said. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As we walk in the Spirit, we then find the power and the motivation and the strength we need to tell ourselves no. Right. Well, and if I could circle back to something else in the text you gave earlier, Tom, and then I think bring it back into what you just said. Paul said, I run not as uncertainly. That speaks to the the certainty of what we do. Whereas I see many Christians, and I have at times myself, run uncertainly. Okay, I know I'm doing the right thing, but I don't know why I'm doing it. I know I'm doing the right thing, but I don't know what it means. And to grow in grace comes around to what you said there at the end from Galatians, is that there's a confidence that what we're doing is 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 important. Does that make sense? Did I tie that in right? Makes sure. sense to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I understand what you're saying there. Um, so without the, drifting into legalism, then how do you, how does that look like practically? What does it look like practically? You know, I mean, there are things that I do and there are things I don't do. And I feel like they're it, all connected. It has to include a constant effort. 
constant attention. You used the word focus earlier. Mm-hmm. It's that idea of 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 constantly paying attention to myself. Paul Paul's statement in Romans eight thirteen, which was the passage I misreferenced a moment ago about mortifying yourself and John Owen's great work on the mortification of the flesh and be killing sin mm-hmm. or still be killing you, likening it to something that is always coming after me. And so I have to be on the offensive against my flesh. Mm-hmm. I can't sit there and just react when my flesh is lazy. Yeah. I have to constantly be proactive about not being lazy in the power of the spirit. Yeah, it's they a, that are Christ I, have crucified the affections and lusts. And how often did Paul have to crucify the flesh? Daily. Right. And, and and I would argue, you know, the song, I Need the Every Hour, the guy that wrote the song moment by moment said, I don't like the song, I Need the Every Hour, because I need it more than every hour. I need a moment by moment. And, and, and I really like the humanity Baptist. of that. What's that? Yeah, he, wasn't, he, must, he must have been. been. Yeah. He was IFB, definitely. Yeah. I don't like that guy's song. I'm going to write my own. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think uh, that's part of it, practically speaking, that is something we always have to be focused on. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a huge thought, honestly. As a pastor, I struggle to communicate it sometimes. That war between man's responsibility and the working of the spirit in us and whose job is it to do what? You know, we always say you're not the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Well, because sometimes people try to be the Holy Spirit. And I've learned you can't do that, but it's sometimes not as simple as in in the identification of such. You know, it's like, how do I know? Um, and so some good thoughts there, Tom. I appreciate that. You've actually given me quite a bit to think about there. No charge. Yeah, you better not charge me. I don't have any money. <laughs> so, how does that impact us? You know, where does that where does that impact us the most? Where whereas you have men who are right now they're they're appreciative of, and I mean, I think men are moving into a. Whew, into a place now culturally where they're starting to reject some of the passive, the passiveness and the um, the political correctness that has been placed upon them. That fem- that feminism has, you know, just forced upon men in general, and they're starting to just kind of break loose of that and say, you know, we're going to be strong. We want to be strong dads. We want to be strong men. We want to do this, that, and the other. So, what's the difference between what the world's saying there as and how it affects you? versus true self-discipline from a biblical sense. I think it's in what it affects first. Does that make sense? No, expand on that. Well, I think that that the world's discipline affects the outside. Oh, yes. Martin, stop stop laughing. <laughs> Martin's just like, these guys have no idea what they're doing today, and, and he's staying out of it. You're, I think you're still muted, by the way, Martin. <laughs> That's why we're having such a great conversation, Brother Russ. Brother Martin's been muted all this time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just sat here learning. Yeah, whatever. He's laughing what not, at what us. What not to do, right? <laughs> what not to do. An episode on discipline comes across yeah. as undisciplined. Well, great. I, I think, again, any any wisdom, any practice, any self-control that isn't, it doesn't include God is ultimately going to fail. And so yeah. if they're not dealing, if there's not true inward change, then all they're doing is bottling it up until it finally found some kind of way out. And right. I think that was part of the problem with the church at Colossae, wasn't it? That their beliefs were wrong. And so they were constantly being frustrated by their behavior not being what Christ commanded. And so until their beliefs mm-hmm. were corrected, their behavior would never have any lasting change. 
Yeah. And so, you know, there has to be that inward change for it to be genuine and lasting. One of the things that I think is a, is a difference between the world's approach to, to self-discipline and God's through the Word of God is the world seeks to use bad aspects of ourselves mm-hmm. as strengths. For example, mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to motivate myself with anger or revenge or you know pride, I, my, my sense of I'm going to accomplish something, I'm going to build something, I'm going to get something done, greed, the ambition – Ambition is not a godly character trait. Uh, and so it will use those as spurs for its discipline to accomplish something, but it's using ungodly means to accomplish ungodly things by way of a godly practice, which is, or at least a right practice, which is disciplining themselves. But God mm-hmm. so often deals with our, as you rightly pointed out, Brother Russ, our inner man. And that discipline starts with. Are with where we're at in our heart. So it's it's me disciplining myself about my anger. It's when someone I think has been unjust to me and I take it to the Lord instead of getting bitter about it. It's it's that sense of disciplining myself. Yes, it includes getting up when my alarm clock rings. And yes, it includes, you know, keeping my health strong so that I can accomplish something and not spending myself right. far into debt so I can get things done. But it's it's that dealing with what's wrong with me on the inside, that anger and that covetousness and that lust and that is going yeah. after those things on the, on the inside. I, I'm going to agree with you on that. And here's why, because of, even in my own personal life, I've had to come to a place to where I am motivated by the right thing. And I appreciate someone who's motivated by perhaps a poor upbringing to raise their children, right? That's inspiring. That is, that is very I think that's a good point, too. It inspires people to hear the story. But what I'm learning as I study the Bible is that I should be more motivated by who I am in Christ than any kind of bad thing that's happened to me in the past or any kind of failure of my past. Now, Paul was motivated by his failures. Don't get me wrong. He was definitely motivated by the past. He A lot of times people quote that scripture, you know, forgetting those things which are behind, and they make it sound like Paul forgot. Well, read the whole chapter right before it. He lists everything that he used to be. So yes. it's very much on his mind. Right. I'm not saying we can't be inspired by failings and, and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, the Bible talks in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 7 about how what, what vengeance repentance brings in my heart. And I read that to mean that when I truly repent and get right and get my sin thoroughly dealt with before God, that I will spend the rest of my days taking vengeance on that sin that held yes. me. It yes. as at, by doing by doing the opposite right by going the opposite direction but where we oftentimes forget is that the biggest motivator we have is not what's happened to us or what we've done the biggest motivator is what Jesus did amen and that's mm-hmm. that's what it all that's what it's all centered on that's when it becomes so much less of a human based discipline and it becomes a bible based christ based discipline that you know and i think that was where paul was ultimately you know, that, that's that's something that I've had to grow in. Jesus' statement, what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Right. You don't gain the whole world without being disciplined. But what have you right. gained? What did Alexander the Great mm-hmm. gain? When he, when he drank himself to death in Babylon at the age of 29, what did he gain? He said, there's no more worlds for me to conquer. You know, and, and you can do this spiritually. You can, you can build, I'm a pastor, so this just comes to my mind. You can build an enormous church for the sake of building the biggest church. Have you helped yes. people? Sure. Right. But is what you've done godly? No. 
Mm. Right. I remember hearing Brother House tell a story, and he told this often, which is which is sad in retrospect, that when you know his dad was not saved and never had mm-hmm. a testimony of salvation, he tried to witness to him all the time. And I don't know whether this story is true or not, because he could spin a yarn, but he said the last time he saw his dad was in Dallas and his dad got real angry with him, you know, because he was out pastoring a little church in the country and wouldn't wouldn't accomplish anything in life. And his dad said something like, Well, just build the blankety blank biggest church in the world then. Yeah, as, that's the story that was telling that of. story as if that's what motivated him to go build right. the biggest church in the world. Yes. Well, if that's your motivation, and he disciplined one of the. I don't know that I've ever come across a man more disciplined in his schedule, you know, and those sorts of things, as that man, and thus accomplished a great deal. But if that's what he accomplished, and that's why he accomplished it, what doth it profit? Yeah, and that was the story that was on my mind, and I'm, you know. I heard someone say something like this. Somebody told me I couldn't do this, and so I I just used that as fuel. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But here's what that does. That kind of discipline can be used by a pastor and by a basketball player. The kind of discipline that we're talking about, Christ-centered discipline, that emphasizes our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ is specific to Christianity. So I guess we're speaking essentially to the motive today right. in a big way. And that kind of discipline, it it focuses on success at any cost, almost any cost, I should right. say. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's not a right way. It's just whatever it takes to get it done. Right. Agreed. But being, yeah. being disciplined, whether, well, I shouldn't say whether, but being disciplined, especially in a sense that, that is um, centered on the right motives and all of that, can truly bring about amazing things in your life. And that's where the guys on the conservative side who aren't necessarily Christian, I mean, they're not wrong. You know, one of Jordan Peterson's big things is he says, get up and make your bed. Get up and, and have a victory right off the bat. You know, and I, I happen to know that's not, that's not original with him. Uh, and I don't know that he would say it is, but get a win at the beginning of the day. You know, go to the, go to the gym or walk outside or do something. Um, it will affect your life in so many ways. And I think we should strive for a balance in that. Paul dealt with everything from the heart to the body in that text you read earlier, Tom. Everything that he everything that he was, his whole being, he wanted it to be disciplined. You know what I love? Okay, I, I was going to bring this verse in at the end here. One of the things I love about the concept of discipline is I think it plays itself out. And you guys tell me if this is a reach or not, because I certainly don't intend for it to be. But I think it plays itself out very much in the childhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 2.52, he increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Doesn't that just about cover the balance of all of the areas of life that we should be disciplined in? That is a beautiful verse. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you could break that down in, in wisdom is the mental aspect, stature is the physical aspect. Favor with God is the spiritual aspect, and favor with man is the interpersonal people skills aspect of it. Um, I, we see a lot of people who are good in one area or two areas of the four, but Christ was a balanced and yet disciplined person in his humanity. You know, I said a minute ago, I've never known someone, you know, more disciplined than Brother Hiles in the sense of how he approached and scheduled his life and decided to rule things out so he could rule things in. And I use that in a negative sense, but Jesus Christ is such a wonderful example of this Mm -hmm. because he lived his life saying no. 
Hmm. Right. Yeah. Saying no to the devil, saying no to mm-hmm. the world, saying no to his own desire to avoid pain or avoid suffering so that and that freed him up to say yes to the father. And the the identifying characteristic of his life is he always said yes to the father. And the reason mm-hmm. that he could always do what his heavenly father wanted is because he denied himself. And he took up the yeah. cross. Right. And that 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 mm-hmm. is the message he gave us to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And in, in, in all of those, Jesus Christ always goes first. He's the example for us in that, in both the doing of it and in the how to do it and why to do it. Well, there's no greater thing to end on than the than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we could leave it there. I think that says so much about what we're trying to communicate today. And don't avoid discipline. It's not what we're trying to say. But do it for the right reasons with the right heart. And do it to the glory of God, not to the glory of self, the flesh, the biggest church, the biggest class, uh, the strongest, most athletic physique, whatever. Do it for the glory of God and let God bring those rewards about on his, on his timetable and in, and in his will. And that will, that will be a wonderful thing to see uh, every time that it, it manifests itself as such. So thank you for listening today to the Issues Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today on the discussion of self-discipline. God bless you. Thanks for listening.